1: Ladies and gentlemen welcome to episode 43 of histories of the unexpected where we will be audio googling through history exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell like
2: plates apes and apples. Those are three quite random things, aren't they? They're very random. 43, though. We're older. Mm. We're older than you are in age, but Mm. not quite as old as me. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how everything, simply everything, has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of the fart, the history of the fart was in fact all about political satire and, of course, the Reformation. Or that the history of chalk is all about education and British identity. It's a- in actual fact, it's the pre-history of the blackboard.
1: Hmm. The man sitting opposite me is the fanatic of former times. It's Professor Extraordinaire of
2: Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's Professor James Daybell. And the man sitting opposite me is the high priest of the past. It is the famous historical adventure, the truly wonderful Dr Sam Willis. Together we will be piloting you on this uncharted,
1: very dangerous flight into the past. Each week one of us takes the lead. This week it's my turn and we're doing something that I've wanted to do forever. I mean... What have you got for us? The more we do this, the more we realise how many subjects there are that we both really wanted to do. Yes. Yeah, this is the one that I wanted
2: to do. I want to do cats. It's all about the French Revolution. No, it's not. It's all about the French Revolution. It's, it's
1: all about Devon in
2: the, and the, the Re- Audien period. And the Reformation. No,
1: 1900, 1983, Newton Abbott. Prove it. No, I can't. <laughs> no, I will do. I will do. It's also about Bristol Museum. And it's about taxidermy. Okay. Stuffing cats. Good. Domesticity. Go
2: on top of your head, think about
1: cats, Tell me about cats,
2: Egyptians. One of the things that strikes me about cats, though we live in an age today where people venerate cats. people love cats. I mean, it does polarize people. there are people who aren't cat people, but people people who love cats really love cats. you know I mean any sort of Facebook feed there is there is always a sort of furry little kitten there who's sort playing with something and you know um. But if you have a look at the past, we have this sort of bizarre hiatus in the middle from ancient Egypt where cats were absolutely venerated. And we can talk a little bit more about that. And they become domesticated to today. In the middle, cat mistreatment, murder was right. They were treated appallingly. So the story is is really interesting. Historical story is why that happened. How do you explain that? Yeah, the massive change from love it's, to hate. Yes, exactly. Mm. I came across this one day. I teach a course on the family, sex and society and I was doing something it's a, it's a he- on... a headline
1: from the Herald. Yes. The Voice of Plymouth. And it says four words, sick thugs skewer cat.
2: Yes. Wow. So I was teaching cultural anthropology and the Renaissance every day, as you do. And I thought one of the ways of getting to that was actually through a book by Robert Darnton that I'll talk about later on. But part of it is actually about getting people to understand something that seems completely alien to yeah. them. That's what history is about. Yeah. So how do you actually explain this? Rather than just being appalled by it or say, that's you know, isn't that awful, dreadful, how do you actually explain that? How do you
1: explain that some sick thug skewered a cat?
2: Yes. Mm. I talked to a vet friend of mine who has basically had to, Deal with a cat after it has been injured like that. Yeah, uh, I mean there is, you know, obviously cruelty nowadays. But how do you explain the sociocultural conditions in which something like that could take place? How do you actually explain it? So you see it as? Is it related to areas of deprivation, particular where did it happen? Crime? Where did it happen? Who, Who did it, and why did they do it? You know, in what sense did it make sense to them? Yeah, was it part of sort of young thugs on the street? Were they in their right
1: minds when they did it? So yes, exactly. Who, whose cat was it? Was it an act of revenge? No, I think it's an interesting exercise actually, because trying to understand the past is that you've just got to be able to ask questions of the past. But the way to train your brain to ask questions of the past is actually get your train your brain to ask questions of the present about which you know much more, and you can you can imagine yourself asking questions of behaviour almost as a detective trying to find out what happened and why it happened. But those skills are exactly
2: the same. You just have to transfer them back to different periods. Yeah, I think it's the kind of thing that anthropologists do. It's one of the reasons why anthropology is such a useful training
1: yeah.
2: for historians. Yeah, yeah. Keith Thomas, who we talked about in the History of the far, was deeply influenced by anthropological writings. Yeah. Somebody like Robert Darnton is deeply interested in that. So what you're looking at, it's a way, effectively, I suppose it's a mode of analysis You know, that isn't traditionally how historians would operate. You see it in the study of witchcraft, for example. Right. And the kinds of things that we don't understand in our present day that aren't around, how do you manage to understand them? So you go to present day societies where such phenomena actually happen and you study that and then read it back into the past. Yeah. There's always a danger of anachronism
1: You know, seeing something in the present and putting it in the past, then the obvious danger is you're completely unaware of all of the different cultural influences which affected the past. That can be quite a dangerous way of doing it. But the point is, I suppose, if you study something in the present well enough, then you'll be aware of all of the different influences that affected behaviour, which I suppose will then help you be cautious about drawing conclusions from the past.
2: Also, when we think about cats... We've established a chronology of cats here. I mean, I think one of the interesting things is how we work out when cats move from being feral, you know, wild cats, to being domesticated. Yeah. And I think there you go to archaeological evidence. Yeah. And I think there it's about seeing them in graves alongside humans so that, in a sense, they're pets or they're sacrifices. And I think if we go back to, I think, about 12,000 BC... Right. Um, I think we can see cats in the Near East. Cyprus in 9,500 BC, it's, be, it's been estimated. Why do cats become domesticated? That's a question we can look at. Well, Cyprus is interesting. It's an island, obviously. Yes. So they had to get there. So they had to go there. They, yeah, they're not indigenous, yes. are they? They've been brought And you wouldn't somewhere. necessarily take a wild, feral cat with you? No. It's interesting to contrast them with dogs, Mm -hmm. Because I think the history of dogs, the history of domesticisation of dogs is much
1: earlier. It is much earlier. So dog really was man's best friend, but he was man's best friend first.
2: Because of hunting. So you hunt with dogs. And I think if we look at this in terms of the long durée, what you're looking at is, I suppose, society becoming more settled. Uh, I mean, this is very sort of broad brushstroke stuff, but society becoming more settled um, rather than people having to move around and hunt. For their food we see the development of agriculture yeah the development of of excess food i suppose it's it's also linked to the practical functions of cats you keep them in yeah. order to chase away mice and mice eat up your stores there's then an interesting story that they have a very sort of practical value but when do they become the kind of pampered preened cats yeah. that we see much later in history having gone through this Slightly odd period, where they're associated with witches and the devil.
1: Are you going to be talking about witches and the devil?
2: Maybe, soon. maybe. Maybe maybe soon. I'm going to be talking about the French Revolution soon.
1: Oh, well, very good. I'm going to pick up from where you were sort of talking about there, actually, because one of the things I think is interesting are the sources you use to study the cat. I love, love
2: a historical source.
1: I love a historical source. I like a paw print which has been trapped for all eternity in the... No way. Yes, in the floor of a Roman villa. Goodness
2: me. How amazing is that? that is, do we know that's a cat?
1: Well, do you know what? I was looking at this. This was in an archaeological paper saying this might be a cat. I don't think it looks like a cat's paw print at all. No. So it almost looks like a flower. You've got a central bit which could be the middle of the pad and then you've got one, two, three, four, five, six semicircles all around it. So it looks a bit like a flower. Yeah. Doesn't it? It's some kind of animal. Do, I don't think it is. I, I wonder if that's...
2: Um, if... Let's, let's suspend disbelief. And let's say it is.
1: I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that? I think it might be a child playing. Oh, really? Yeah, making a little flower pattern in the floor. (laughs) Well, the point is, is a lot of the the evidence we have out there is a bit dodgy. Right. We don't know. And to take this tile with perhaps paw print in it and say, oh, this is clear evidence of uh, domestic use of cats from 4th century BCs. You know, you're in pretty flaky territory there. But anyway, first glance, it looks like a paw print, and it's definitely in a tile from the floor of a Roman villa. Yeah, This one's a bit better. Same period, interesting, 2nd to 4th century. This is from France, though. Um, and here we have a young Gallo-Roman girl who has died. We know it's, she, she's the daughter of a guy called Lytus. Apart from that, we don't know anything at all. But on her, her funerary steel here, she is shown with her cat. Mm. and at the bottom there's a cockerel which is actually biting the tail of the cat and what I love about this is the way that she's holding a cat up have you ever seen a kid hold a cat up? they pick them up
2: up by the scruff of the neck
1: yeah like shopping bags you know there's no kind of like hold it by the bottom they just sort of you know and she's doing exactly this she's holding it up under the arms they're both facing us and I've seen a child pick up a cat just like that in a valley in Tajikistan So I love that. So that's another way of looking at, you know, the evidence of when... Well, the point is is that she cherishes this cat. Whoever's made this memorial of hers decided to make a memorial of her and her cat. You know, that suggests that it was a cherished animal.
2: So what we've got, if we're thinking about this in terms of historical evidence for cats, if we move into periods of history, ancient history, that are, you know, largely pre-literate, we're looking at different kinds of sources, so the visual source, yeah. the, the, the kinds of visual source, the archaeological source that survives, mm. is very important yeah. for us. I and mean,
1: particularly in that one, with the tenderness of the relationship between the human and the cat. Yes, um, and actually, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's human and cat symbiosis. relationships, the symbiosis. Yes. Yeah. So this, I think, is a much stronger evidence for the domesticity of cats. So this is in North Yorkshire, mm. in a well in the garden of a Roman villa. They found the remains of 28 different types of animals. drowning of cats. Well, maybe we'll not (laughs) know. I think this might be the opposite. I think the cat, when it died, was thrown down the well. Right. But the point is, is that through the analysis of the bones of the cat, they know that the cat suffered a horrific injury at some point in its life. So both its... When it was thrown down the well. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But both of its um, left, its forelimb and back leg... I don't know the cat terminology, were both horrifically broken. This one's missing, completely missing the knobbly bit on the end of it. Really, really very badly broken. But there's evidence that those wounds healed and that the cat then went on to live a life. So there's wear post-trauma of these bones. Now, what's interesting is that we we might kind of guess at what happened. So both sides, it basically got hit very hard on one side, possibly being kicked by a horse, Mm. being hit by a Roman wheel of a cart or something like that. But what matters is that the wound would, without any doubt, have been nearly fatal. So that cat, to go on and survive, had to have been nursed and had to have been cared for. Hence the importance of cats. Yeah, and it wouldn't have been able to be a mouser. It would have limped, its legs would have been shorter, it would have been stiffer. Its use as a mouser has gone, but someone fed it and looked
2: after it. The Romans loved their cats. Well, this is, they, I think this yep. might be proof that the Romans yep. genuinely did love their cats. Romans apparently introduced cats, brought cats across from Egypt and brought them into, into Europe hmm. and over to Britain. They did rabbits as well, didn't they? Rabbits, probably all sorts of things. Roads and all sorts of things. Roads <laughs> and cats. Right, I want to go to the French Revolution. Yes. And the, one of the most brilliant books I've ever read, Robert Darnton's The Great Cat Massacre, which is a phenomenal phenomenal book. He's a Princeton historian influenced by anthropology uh, and the work of his colleague Clifford Gertz, who has a, a sort of theory called, or a methodology called thick description, which is basically, it comes out of anthropology. It's the way in which you take a ordinary everyday episode and you describe it in as much detail as you can, and you use it as a way into analysing a much larger, right. significant question or culture. I mean, it's kind of what we do in Histories of the Unexpected uh, when we're on form. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or not just laughing or, or about farts. Or not, or not, just, laugh, what, not just laughing about fast The farts, car crash what, of our last what, episode. <laughs> which is what happened
2: last time. So what he starts with is, in this, this little essay, a group of apprentice printers living in the Rue Saint-Severin in Paris, 1730s. And what he tries to get at is he's interested in looking at the kinds of social and urban contexts that were ripe for the kinds of ideas that led to the French Revolution. Mm. So this is like 50 years before. And what he's trying to look at is an early form of workers' protest. And what he finds in the archives is a story about a printer and his wife, and their apprentices. Now, in order to understand this, you need to understand the awful treatment that apprentices had. They were often beaten, kept out in the cold, lived in miserable conditions. They were poorly fed. The cat within the household, a cat called La Grise, or the grey, the mistress's sort of favourite cat, was pampered and had much better food than them. They also lived in you know, pretty awful, cramped, hot conditions, and were kept awake at night by these sort of noisy alley cats. You know, that was an out, amazing cat impression. Out in the street, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a ventriloquist, a, of, a, a, a feline. Um, feline That's extraordinary. Feline mimic. Can you do a fox? I have no idea what a fox sounds like. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no I can't. More like a crow. I can't. They're really weird. Oh, go on, do me, do me a fox. <laughs> That's, fun. That's very good. We should quit doing the podcast and just do animal impressions. Animal, animal impressions. <laughs> so what they do is in order to sort of get their own back on the master and mistress, one of the apprentices crawls outside the master and mistress's window and then for several nights makes cat noises. And the master just gets so annoyed with this that he orders them to round up the cats in the local neighbourhood. And they say, oh, yes, they will. And the wife sort of says, oh, but not my legreeze. So what do they do? The first thing they do with the other journeyman in the print shop, they go out and they grab hold of the mistress's cat and they break its back with a bar. They round up all the other cats, beating them, breaking limbs, and then they put them in bags. And then they put them, but they make a mock trial... And they, you know, act as judge and jury and they decide that these cats are guilty of all manner of crimes, treason, witchcraft. So they're sort of witches' cats. And then they execute them. What? The master then comes in the next day and all sort of shock and horror about it. And, oh, you know, we were only doing, you know, only doing what you said. And then once he leaves, they then make fun of it. So it becomes pantomime and it becomes something that is really important for them, sort of subverting and poking fun at the master and mistress. Now, this is where Danton sort of says this cat murder, this cat massacre, back to our thugs who skewer a cat in Plymouth, it seems so alien to our modern day sensibilities that the key is actually understanding how it works and why did they do it. It's actually, how can early 18th century apprentices find this kind of thing funny? Yeah. And it's actually getting that that allows you to see something really deep and meaningful about social and cultural and political relations in the Ancien Régime in Paris. So that's the key. And what he then does is he then unpacks, the rest of the essay deals with the unpacking of the role and cultural significance of cats in the medieval and early modern world. So cats are part of carnival. So this world upside down that we talked about in the episode on the fart, Sharivari. So it's part of ritual and tradition. So when you are basically trying to subvert the social order, the cat becomes a really useful thing. Mm. He writes in it, cats are good for staging ceremonies. They have ritual value. You cannot make Sharivari with a cow, he says. You do it with cats. You decide to fail a chat, So in other words, play with the cat. So when you are being boisterous and doing sort of silly things, you know, wherever you are, cats are to hand. And if you're poking fun at somebody who is a cuckold who's been cheated on by his wife, you grab hold of a cat and you pull a cat and you make it scream. In somebody's face. Or there are all sorts of other examples of torturing cats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, burning cats. Yeah. Uh, the French love to burn cats. In 16th century London, a cat was shaved by reformers. Shaving cats. In order to look like a priest. So people were being barbaric to cats. It's also connected with witchcraft. Yeah. So the idea that... Well, the cat is the, the cat, embodiment of the of, devil. Of the devil. Or, it, yes, as it's familiar... You know, and there are lots of descriptions of sex with cats. Wow. You know, the classic remedy for sorcery and thinking that you were bewitched was to take a cat to cut its tail off its ears, smash its legs, tear or burn its fur in order to get rid of what you saw as the malevolent power of the witch's cat. He also then goes to look at, you know, where cats are. Cats are a locus... Their locus of power is within the household, is with the master and the household and the mistress. And there are all sorts of superstitions tied to that. So when a mistress dies, the cat has a black ribbon tied around its neck. There's a 16th century tale also of a young girl who sold her soul to the devil for pretty clothes. And then when she dies, the pole bearers find her coffin really heavy, open it up and out jumps a black cat. Cats are also associated with smothering babies. So you can already wow. see how this kind of becomes How are they associated with smothering babies? They would climb on a baby's cot and sit on a baby's really? face. And you so there are all these kind of anxieties and associations about cats. They're also connected to sex. The word pussy, you know, we use in sort of very colloquially to refer to a vagina, but the cat as sexual metaphor is very strong throughout. Uh, early modern France, cats are connected to fidelity, to female sexuality. So a girl who was said to be in love was supposed to be in love by a cat. Hmm. And a, a girl who became pregnant, the phrase was that she let the cat go to the cheese. There's also an understanding that in popular folklore, girls who ate cat stew could end up giving birth to kittens.
0: Support comes from ServiceNow Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel any time. ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Cat stew. Cat stew. So people, people, eat people, would eat, people would eat
2: cats. And then this connects to cuckoldry, as I was talking about earlier Balls. on, yeah, and teasing awesome. men with sort of screaming cats. So actually, all of that we've got here, it kind of shows you the way in which you can take all of these kind of different meanings of and rituals associated with cats to understand this phenomenon i'll just read you a little bit from from danton it seems clear that the workers found the massacre fun because it gave them a way to turn the tables on the bourgeois by goading him the master with cat calls they provoked him to authorize the massacre of cats then they used the massacre to put him symbolically on trial for unjust management of the shop They also used it as a witch hunt, which provided an excuse to kill his wife's familiar and to insinuate that she herself was a witch. Finally, they transformed it into a Sharivari, which served as a means to insult her sexually while mocking him as a cuckold. The bourgeois made an excellent butt of the joke. Not only did he become the victim of a procedure he himself had set in motion, he did not understand how badly he had been treated. The men had subjected his wife to symbolic aggression of the most intimate kind, but he did not get it. He was too thick-headed, a classic cuckold. So it's the idea that they use these ceremonies and symbols and rituals to actually turn the tables on them. So there. If we take this, if we <laughs> take this, bloke. If we take this further, this an
1: extraordinary event goes on.
2: He doesn't realize. He doesn't, all realize of these. he doesn't realize what's going on. But also, what this shows is that what you have in place. We're not saying that this led to the French Revolution, but what we're saying is that what you have is the, the kinds of structures that are fertile breeding grounds for the sort of more radical ideas yeah. behind that lead to the French Revolution. What's also interesting here is the kind of class consciousness here. There's a real sort of disjuncture between bourgeois attitudes to cats, which is about cats as pets, and preening cats and looking after cats, which doesn't make sense to the workers. You know, the workers don't keep cats for that kind of reason. It's something to do with leisure and wealth. You know, cats are very practical. They're mousers. And in fact, they are much more used to the sort of um, barbaric rituals of mistreating yeah. cats. So the pampering's kind of distasteful
1: to them. It's a reason for ridicule or it's a kind of... A, Absolutely. A, yeah,
2: yeah, Absolutely. The cat wow, is the French Revolution? That's amazing. You should all read Dantons: The Great Cat Massacre.
1: Do you want to do dried cats, found cats, or big cats? We'll obviously do both, but what Ooh, you can choose all three. You want to do what? Do you want to do first? Mm, dried cats. Dried cats. Desiccated cat. Mm, dried Yum. cats. So, uh, I found this wonderful article in the um, Royal Anthropological Institute of Great Britain and Ireland. Yes. Uh, from the fifties, but it's about Found cats. Now, I'm I'm always interested in found things because of my training as an archaeologist. It's to do with Mm. discovery and how our understanding is based on chance discoveries. And um, found cats is a thing. People have been finding dried cats under buildings, primarily. How do you dry a cat? Well, it gets stuck there or it's put there under a building and becomes desiccated and mummified through lack of access to oxygen and, and the world. It's kind of accidental mummification. Got a few descriptions here. Cat and bird found at Hay Hall, Tisley, Birmingham. Facing each other, the cat with gaping jaws and extended claws in a square cavity about nine inches deep, surrounded by heavy oak between the outside wall and the lath and plaster inside wall. There was no possible means by which the creatures could have gained entry and the plaster of the wall at the back was undamaged. House probably built between 1275 and 1300, but inner wall, perhaps a later addition... Specimens now on show. That's amazing. Cat and bird facing each other. Here's another one. In the roof of a 14th or 15th century house to the south of the parish church in Little St Mary Street, Bridgewater, the cat was of ebony colour, its mouth open in a snarling way, and its forepaws raised defensively as if striving to fight off an enemy. Ooh. I know. Uh, anyway, there are loads of them. I'll read you a few more because they're just so wonderful. Cat with two rats found beneath 16th-century woodwork in a house in Borough Street, Southwark. It holds in its jaws a rat which appears to be struggling to escape, with its legs extended, its mouth wide open, and its tail erect. Another rat, beneath the cat's four feet, rides upwards as if to bite its captor. Artificially arranged, since no accident could have killed all three simultaneously in such dramatic attitudes... What the,
2: What is going on? Yeah, I had a neighbour around who had lost a cat and wondered whether it got locked in our shed. Huh. And I imagine it's that kind of... Here you are, here's a couple thing. of pictures.
1: I'll just read you a couple more. Ooh, poor cat. See, this one's been just stuck. Cat found you during demolition of the wall of a 17th century inn in Monmouthshire, lies on its side in what appears to be a fairly natural position. Uh, well, just endless. I mean, I've just read one, two, three, four, five, and I've got... 40.
2: What's the historical
1: significance of the dried cat? Well, there are basically kind of three suggested reasons for them being here. One is foundation sacrifices.
2: Mm.
1: I mean, and that's an ancient, ancient, ancient yes. thing, putting things as, as sacrifices beneath uh, floors of houses. What I really liked was uh, uh, this other suggestion, that they were vermin scares, and that is a cat version of a scarecrow, essentially. So you actually want a dead Cat yeah. to so scare them off. You think of an effigy of a man is is, is used yes. to scare a crow. So an effigy of a cat was used to scare vermin. Uh, and the other, obviously, explanation is they were just accidentally enclosed. Yes. Um, but these ones, which have been deliberately staged in in this odd position or deliberately snarling or with with, with
2: birds or with, with other rats, does suggest something
1: something else entirely.
0: Yes.
2: Isn't that wonderful? That is wonderful. Yeah. And I suppose you wouldn't have the. Difficulty of feeding it and looking after it. No, and, it's just Or there. noisy, it's just literally... It's a permanent cat. It's a permanent cat. Yeah. Yes, no trouble. <laughs> well, I want to move to cruelty to cats. We're going from cruelty to the foundation of the RSPCA. So well, it, we've it's done, a we've tale done domesticity, with, so... It's a tale I'll with, tell you what, before we go cruelty, I'm just yes. going to show you one thing. Go
1: because on Because it'll fit in nicely here. Can you describe that? It is a door with a cat flap. It is it's a it is a, a me- church door the medieval cat flap. Ah, where's that?
2: Exeter cathedral. Ah. Shame on you for not
1: knowing this. No no no
2: no 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 I'm I I don't follow the I don't follow the cat flaps of of any cathedral. Well, you should Medi- medieval
1: own. cat flaps is a thing.
2: Tell me about medieval cat flaps.
1: Well, in this example, it's near the amazing astronomical clock, which is in Exeter. Ah. So it's all 15th century stuff. And they had a problem with it because all of the cathedral's rats were attracted to the astronomical clock because the astronomical clock had its ropes mechanism lubricated with animal fats, Mm. which attracted the rats. So the cathedral cat was given access to the tower behind which was the clock to kill all the rats. So again, just a bit more archaeological evidence for for cats, which I think is wonderful. Excellent. So now you're doing the opposite of this, where this I'm is doing the opposite cherishing of this. a cat, admiring it, respecting it, giving it
2: access, allowing it to come in and out. And but you're going to do cruelty. Cruelty to cats. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So early 18th century. You have already um, done quite a lot of cruelty to cats. I have done quite a lot of cruelty to cats. I mean, it was one of the things that I found most remarkable about this, just the way in which animals were treated before the sort of 19th century. I'm going to talk about the foundation of the RSPCA and how that came about. But I'm going to talk here, start off by looking at this image here. Uh, by William Hogarth. Stages so sort of cruelty of early four early, stages 18, cruelty. early 18th century. It's sort of in the sort of tradition of Gin Lane, the sort of yeah. stories of dissolution. It's four little prints um, that follow a main protagonist, Tom Nero, uh, who starts out in the care of the parish of St. Giles in the in the field. So the same area that is is depicted in in Gin Lane. And we follow him through his life as a boy here on the street, and I'll come back to talk about this. We follow him to that, to then um, uh, staging cruelty to animals and another one, he's beating his horse. We then see him turning into a highwayman and he murders somebody. And then we see him getting his own sort of final uh, punishment for it, kind of licensed form of violence where he is hanged and then he is, as, as, as most criminals would be, he then goes over to the anatomy table, and what you've got here is uh, is him being dissected, and his intestines spilling out That's very all unknown. over it. So the idea is, it's it's the sort what's of what's got it's sort of the Rakes' progress what's this got to do with cats uh, because what i'm showing is i'm showing the narrative of the four different pictures here show his sort of fall and demise that starts with him here torturing animals ah, and cats I see. There we so go. um and as you can see here there are little boys in the street uh, shown abusing animals and birds these two boys here mm. are trying to stick a, a bone to a dog's tail uh, there's another couple of boys here trying to stick an arrow. Two of them are holding a dog down. Another one is trying to stick an arrow up a dog's bottom. Um, the others are stringing kittens up from a signpost or cockfighting. So they're basically just abusing animals. This history of human-animal relationships is very confusing, complicated. complicated. But Hogarth, you look at the autobiographical notes of of Hogarth, and I quote here. He tells us something about why the images were done and he says they were done in the hopes of preventing in some degree that cruel treatment of poor animals which makes the streets of London more disagreeable to the human mind than anything whatever, the very describing of which gives pain. And I think if you start looking at the early history of the RSPCA, the RSPCA became the RSPCA in 1840. When Queen Victoria made it a sort of royal society. But before that, in the late 18th and early 19th century in Britain, what we see is a series of views emerging that led to a much more caring attitude towards animals. You know, they were against the use and maltreatment of animals in, you know, dogs pulling carriages, um, scientific experiments, vivisection animals as a sort of cultural amusement, so fox hunting. So it's all part and parcel of that that then leads to a series of people getting together. And it's interesting, the kinds of people who are interested in abolition of slavery, interested in vegetarianism, something that my colleague James Gregory knows an awful lot about, which do the history of the vegetable uh, at some oh, point. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, This all leads to the foundation of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty, animals and this society in 1837 sponsored an essay writing competition with um, the prize of 100 pounds for the winning entry and i'll I'll just read out the, the the terms of the competition it stipulated that the essay required is one which shall morally illustrate and religiously enforce the obligation of man towards the inferior and dependent creatures their protection and security from abuse, more especially as regards those engaged in service and for the use and benefit of mankind on the sin of cruelty, the affliction of wanton or unnecessary pain. So we see the establishment of this society. So people are and a series of, of legislation um, that protects animals. There's also an interesting story about the true, not just the domesticisation, but the way in which cats become pets. Mm. as well and are treated in particular in particular ways and I imagine that's a class thing as well yes yeah I mean just
1: sort of strip it back a bit and think about how cats got here as well I mean that's really interesting when we mentioned Cyprus earlier so yeah. not indigenous there how do any well, things just move a, a particular, yeah how do anything things move will they move along trade routes yes it's all to do with human ships. human transition. they move made by ships and they go along things like the Silk Road. A ship's cat. That's a, a ship's cat. A ship's cat. Catch rats. The, the, to catch
2: rats, but also is you know, superstitious mm. thing that you have a ship's cat.
1: I think they found one on the Mary Rose. or was a dog. I'm not sure. They've definitely found something. I think it was a small dog. Mm. Uh, one thing about the Mary Rose is interesting is that the majority of the rats left. We know that the Mary Rose is going
2: to be full of rats. Yeah.
1: And that they um, they left before it went down. So it's proof that so cat, rats leave a sinking
2: ship. So cats are connected to, to trade, to invasion, Absolutely. to war, to yeah. empire. All those kind of big sort of historical phenomenal movements mm. that enable ideas and things and commodities to actually move around. And
1: pets on ships is a big thing. So, you know, we know that they took pets with them a lot, particularly officers. And so, you know, if you're turning up in Polynesia or somewhere, or Hawaii, you're introducing new species as well as recording them, mm. uh, which is interesting. So I like this this idea of the exotic, and it's I just really want nice. to start with this. I, I was on a houseboat near Hampton Court the other week. Oh, what, what were you doing there? I was spending the night there waiting to go to the rugby final to watch the Chiefs beat Wasps. It did, and they won, didn't and they, they won. Chiefs? It was, it was wonderful. Well done, Chiefs. Big history moment there. Anyway, Richmond Park it's full of green parrots. Real, real not in cages, not but in, real in trees. Absolutely, and there are loads of them. There's, it's a bit of a mystery how they came about. There's some suggestion
2: that... There is a connection to cats here as well. There
1: I is, think. absolutely. These wonderful green parrots, they're like comedy parrots. Imagine a parrot. It's bright green with a Tweety Pie. And they're lovely. They make wonderful noise. Um, there's some suggestion that they escaped from Shepperton Studios in 1951 when Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn were making a film called The African Queen. There's also some suggestion that Hendrix <laughs> released them in Carnaby Street in the Jimmy 1960s, Jimi Hendrix, and they went on to breed. But actually, um, the first pair that was bred in the wild, we know happened in 1855, and actually we think it goes much, much earlier. So, invasive, odd, exotic species. Where am I going to go with cats? I'm obviously going to go to...
2: Climbing trees to catch them. Big cats. Big cats. History of... The the link from
1: parrots to big cats. Yeah, no, it's all to do with invasive exotic species. Ah, excellent. So, what do we know about big cats?
2: I know very little about the story of big cats. We should have done lions Do you know at
1: least that there are... Kind of rumors or myths that big cats roam the English countryside.
2: Dartmoor has a has a a big cat cat. on the loose. But this has
1: been going on for years. There's this kind of rumour that there's a big cat. That is a big cat. Is the only surviving example of an actual big cat which has been roaming the English countryside. A lynx or something. It's a lynx. It's a lynx. It's in the Bristol Museum. It was shot in Newton Abbott. Oh! After it killed two dogs,
2: so the history of the cat is a Devonian
1: story. Well, it's only the big yes. cat in yes. this case. So it's, it's a lynx. It was um, a farmer shot it. It's, it's twice the size of a large domestic cat, and it is a vicious-looking thing. What's wonderful about it is um, stumpy tail. It's a bit of a stumpy tail. Yeah, the, the whole it looks quite badgerish, doesn't it? At the back, The kind of the shape, the hunt yeah. shape. Yeah. Where did this come from? Now there's been a, a kind of interdisciplinary multidisciplinary approach to this. They've been studying it. They tried to get DNA out of it. So that's a, what I'm showing you there is a photograph of the stuffed animal. The actual animal has been taxidermized. Yes. Is that the word? I think well, it's prob- been stuffed probably
2: if not it should be the yeah,
1: word. But in the process of being taxidermized, all sorts of funny chemicals were used which killed a lot of the DNA. So we don't actually know what we want to know about it, but we know that from its analysis of its teeth we know that it was in captivity for a very long time before it either escaped or was released into the wild. But it was shot in 1903. What matters about that is that a lot of these examples of big cats have traditionally been linked to the Dangerous Wild Animals Act of 1976, when whole laws about holding animals like this changed. Um, and that some were released and um, some were escaped, they weren't kept as well. But this one significantly predates that by 70 years. And there's still a great deal we need to know about it. And also it kind of raises this interesting question of uh, stuffed animals in in museums. Um, a lot of them are not accurately or well-identified. There's a whole kind of body, wrong word but right word, of stuffed animals which, which tell us a great deal about our past, how they got there, not just the animal itself. But we still don't know a lot about it. It's a wonderful kind of open ground for interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary Mm. research where you can look at the bones, you can look at the taxidermy. You've actually got it there. You've got the whole thing there. And then you can look at the um, news reports. We can find out about it. There are accession things for the museum. When did they come into the museum? Why did they come into the museum?
2: It's a very sort of Victorian idea, of a museum to have these spectacles absolutely display. That's why you have the big giraffes and, yeah. and elephants like we have at the Royal Albert Memorial Museum. Very untrendy now, though. Part of the Victorian Albert Museum's sort of philosophy is their mission statement at the moment is to be this Victorian museum rather than a sort of sanitised sort of modern museum that mm. just clears all of that out. That's fascinating. I mean, one of the questions that I have about this is how widespread were cats of this sort? We don't know. You know, we don't and know. And how do you start, you know... How do you and how do you start as a historian? How do you start looking at that?
1: Yeah, I, I love the public interest in it because it mm. instinctively links the public back to history. Mm. So everyone goes, "Well, how do they get there? Yeah. What, what's going on? Why is that there?" Because we we know that we're they, we overrun by big cats. Yeah, this is a lynx, But we, they did used to live here. Yeah, but we know that they were extinct by about the seventh century. So this is obviously a survival. Yeah. Well, we don't know. It might have come from Canada, yeah. and it might have been kept in a zoo. Yeah. All of the sort of different types. And all, the, all of the big cats, the, the, the kind of the ones with surviving documentation around them, um, they're, they're all different types. They're not all the same type of big cat. Mm. There are, you know, different types of leopard and
2: lynx, isn't it? Mm. And this would take us to the zoo, safari parks, yeah. Africa, big cats, yeah. all of those kinds of things which we don't have time to go into. We should do lions and tigers. And bears, oh my. Bears, Oh yes, we should, Oh yes. Let's bears do bears, yeah. Teddy bear, Paddington bear. Ah, Menagerie Mm. (laughs) Very good
1: We've been all over the place We've done cruelty We've done But it's really It's really
2: all about The French Revolution
1: (laughs) Yes I think that's
2: true And Edwardian big cats And anthropology Good We should all be anthropologists Everyone
1: thank you very much for listening And send us photos of your cats Excellent Goodbye Bye If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com
0: and follow. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. Go on Facebook
1: and Twitter at The History MC.